ECR is in the land of the Kulin Nations and broadcasts over the land of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. We'd like to pay our respects to elders past, present and future. Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded, genocide and colonisation continue, and a treaty has never been signed. We'd also like to acknowledge any Indigenous people and elders listening in. You are listening to Queering the Air on 3CR radio station. Um, today, presenting and producing the program um, is Iris and I, Devana. Um, yeah. Mm. So, today's program. Yeah, so today's program is going to focus on singleness in relation to coupledom. Devana and I were talking about watching some of our friends disappear into coupledom. We noticed a significant variation between how different people approach maintaining friendships. Many people value their friendships heaps, even if they have a partner or partners. But some in particular disappear into coupledom. There's even been a, a term coined by Elizabeth Brake on the expectation that everyone wants to be in, a, in ex, an exclusive partnered relationship, a matronormativity. This Western capitalist and patriarchal society invents a lot of romantic mythology around finding one person to complete you, inverted commas, in a nuclear family for the rest of your life. The language around this word, inverted commas, single, and inverted commas, never married, on Centrelink and other government forms are loaded towards one particular kind of family to the exclusion of all others. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull during the postal survey last year said he wanted queers to marry up while invoking the stereotype of the so-called empty life of a single queer woman with cats. Not all love is valued equally. I have certainly experienced this kind of relationship question time and time again, and it's prioritised in romantic comedies and other forms of media. And one of the questions people ask me when they first see me is, do you have someone in your life, or are you attached, or do you have a partner? So, and once an Uber driver asked me if I were married or if I, you know, was in a relationship. And then I said no. And he said, oh, someone shall snatch you up soon enough. Um, that's gross. I find the term mm. snatch really disgusting, as if I'm like a flower to be plucked or something. Mm. But um, I, I feel like I've gained so much time from, you know, I've gained so much just from spending time alone and prioritizing me. I feel stronger and mentally and emotionally stable. I have found it really difficult to focus on like self-growth and self-development when I'm in a relationship and I really, really um, enjoyed spending time by myself and being single, quote unquote. <laughs> Iris actually is a really beautiful piece, don't you, about singleness that you wrote mm. and you'll be reading throughout the program today. Yeah, so I'll start off now. I wrote this earlier in the year. Queerness is often imagined as existing through coupledom. In my old diary, when I was trying to come out as queer to myself, I was sure I was, quote, not effing straight. But I couldn't conceive of myself as queer because I was, quote, living a boring single life. I was trapped in the false idea of proving, in inverted commas, my queerness. In a convoluted series of coming outs, I finally became surrounded by queers, my understanding of queerness has less to do with relationship status, in inverted commas, and more to do with creating community, a community that values friendship and social movements to end oppression. That said, I struggle with belonging with a hierarchy in queer circles that, uh, that values romance over all else. I have found romantic crush groups and an alien experience. Desires are impacted by oppression and privilege. My whiteness gives me unjust advantages, while my trans femininity is met with less power. 
So I have a question for you, Iris, um, especially in regard to the text that you just read. What aspects of yourself and upbringing have influenced the decision to not like have a hierarchy of your relationships? And um, how do you organize your relationships, be it friendships, coupledom, or being part of a community? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think it's. I think I just had like a really different childhood to some of my peers in some ways because actually yeah I kind of struggled making with friends in my childhood and I was very aloof and stuff and I suppose that there was a lot of expectations around like the normative expectations of yeah I was assigned male at birth and the normative expectations of you meant to find like being a heterosexual relationship as you get older and want to be in one but it just didn't yeah, it just didn't it just didn't work out for me. I suppose it's just I think the combination of being different in different ways in terms of queer and trans stuff and psychological stuff meant I was seeing the world in a different way for some reason that like influenced me realizing that these structures I didn't have to conform to them, I guess. Um and I guess I got to read a bit more about literature that sort of un packed things because I guess before I came out with the queer things I was yeah I was struggling yeah I struggled to even conceive of myself as queer because of the idea that you have to prove your queerness through having a relationship with someone and that led me to read things like that counteracted that idea I guess Mm. um yeah I think for me personally when I was young, like, I really noticed a lot of my friends, um, this was back in Sri Lanka, they would kind of get so consumed by their feelings, maybe it was young teenage love, and they would stop hanging out with the rest of us. And then it was kind of like a loss of yourself as well. I mean, I, I really wasn't losing myself, but like, it, losing a friend is kind of like losing yourself in a way, or part of yourself. And from a young age, I've just seen people disappear into their relationships and then once it ends they come back but it's very momentary they're, they're kind you're kind of like um like an ad before the tv show resumes you know like they're just there to fill time and to gain a sense of self-fulfillment but once they find another relationship they kind of disappear into that and I think if I, I haven't had a relationship in a long time but in the last one I was in like I made a conscious effort to not do that to not like disappear into it but also to have like very clear boundaries and to kind of establish and have a conversation about what I prioritize and like my priorities are like my my, is my family first and foremost I think that's really important I have a very strong relationship with my mom my grandma my aunties my cousins and I really you know we've been through so much together including a war so they mean more to me than some stranger (laughs) and then obviously my closest friendships are very important to me as well and I'd say if if this was like if I was vaguely sketching out a hierarchy I'd say my relationship would probably be at the bottom not so much that I'm kind of abandoning them or whatever but I feel like they I wouldn't prioritize them or like spend as much time as I would with my family or um, I would with my closest friends and um, I think with a lot of heterosexual relationships, it's the opposite way around. You know, it's especially in the Western world, even before family, it's their partner. Mm. And then then a couple of friends and then their family or whatever. But I think as time has gone on, I've 
apart from, you know, my mom and my grandma and you know, the core family members, I've been trying to, like, have less of a hierarchy and break that down as well. Um, and to set clear boundaries within my relationships of what I am capable of doing for someone and what I'm not. For example, I don't ever want to have, with a relationship, I don't want to have a conversation about money. I feel like with a friend, I'm happy to help them out and help them with that. But I don't want to bring a financial element into my, you know, quote-unquote, our romantic relationships. Do you mm. have any dilemmas like that? Is there something that you don't want to do when you're in a, if you yeah. hypothetically have a lover? Mm, um, yeah, I just don't want... The entanglement, I guess, like the re- like the idea of the relationship escalator that was coined, I don't know, some years ago, it's like the expectations that if you have romantic or sexual feelings for someone, it has to escalate and escalate and become more and more entangled and more and more enmeshed in each other's lives. And I don't... All-consuming. Yeah, an all-consuming sort of escalator that goes up and up. And that idea that that's like how you, like, you know, like achieve certain goals through a relationship or something. It's like getting higher up in the escalator and that's... Not something I would do. And just thinking about some of the things you were talking about. Yeah, I'm thinking about my um, my Anglo family and, like, my parents and their relationship, which, um, like, it isn't... It's like they're together because they are together and I don't... I don't really see it as a particularly good thing to aspire to. It's just... And, and also thinking about... Um, things to do with masculinity and my, my, my dad like hardly has any friends outside of my mum and it's this really like gendered thing in that my mum does put more effort on some with some friendships but also does neglect friendships a lot in terms of being with my dad um and my dad hardly has friendships outside of that the little structure that's really interesting because when i was growing up my mom had always had male and female friends coming into a house and because you know despite being married like it never meant she abandoned her friendships or her relationships with people and i think with a lot of my australian friends i've noticed that they lose their friendships but they also kind of lose touch with the with their community and they're kind of cocooned in their like self I don't know, constructed relationship. And it's very strange. Um, they kind of stop being a person almost. Another thing that I really like to touch on um, is just this sense of cultural differences. I feel like in certain cultures, like in Australia, like um, PDA is kind of really strongly encouraged or it's it's acceptable. While back home, I wouldn't see people, you know, displaying affection publicly. And because there wasn't, that kind of freedom it meant that people would have to engage with everyone around them you know not only their their husband or their partner or their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever um and I find that really refreshing because I feel like it's kind of natural to want to be in your feelings and feel a particular way and kind of lose yourself but if I feel like you have to make either a conscious effort or there has to be a cultural kind of precedent and once that's there you kind of you kind of do make an effort. And once you're with people, you kind of enjoy it and you kind of, yeah, you, you detach yourself from those feelings as well. Yeah, what about you, Iris? What what else have you seen, particularly around cultural things around coupledom in Australia, as an Australian? Mm, 
You mentioned that your dad had only male friends. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, my dad doesn't... Yeah, my... It's like... Yeah, my mom would, like, occasionally go do a friend thing. And that's also very gendered. I think, like, my mom's friends are mostly other women and my dad's got, like, one or two friends who are men. And, yeah, I suppose this all relates to compulsory heterosexuality and how it organises people's lives and it makes these gendered patterns happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, another thing that I really want to work on um, is having non-romantic, non-physical relationships with people which are strong um, and which are close, uh, but which aren't particularly going anywhere or mean anything. And I really still want to support them in any way possible. And I feel it's really strange because I want to, I want to have more relationships like that. But I can't because I feel like, um, not with women, obviously, not with grown women or people of the queer community, but with heterosexual cisgendered men, they don't really like opening up to anyone outside of their family or their partners. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried again, but they just don't want to talk about their emotions or their moods or anything like that. And I find that so, like, I put all this emotional labor into building a relationship with them that's non-sexual and non-romantic. And it's like, why aren't they playing their part? Why don't they want to grow together and feel close and feel bonded? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very strange, yeah. So as a result of that, I've had to kind of formulate adult friendships, which, like, are like companionships with you know, people of other genders. Yeah. So now we're going into um, two songs. So um, since it's the um, Single Dumb and Shoegaze edition, we're playing shoegaze music, mostly from the 80s and the 90s. And we've got two songs lined up for you. And this is Strange by Galaxy 500 and Vapor Trail by Ride. That was Strange by Galaxy 500 and Way Portrayal by Ride. You listen to Queering the End. Today we have Iris and I. Um, so Iris, you are going to be reading from your piece again. Yes, I'll continue reading from my piece. I am irked by when a friend brings a date to a hangout without telling me. I am tired of making accommodations to couples, including scheduling, because I am apparently more free. I watch an amusement when friends break up and suddenly then have time for friendship. I cry in sadness as the space between friend hangouts generally becomes larger as I get older. What if friendship was not treated as tertiary? For those interested in exploring sexual desire, casual makeouts, two hookups to sexual friendships and more can all be experienced outside of the realm of partnership. That said, I have found it tricky to navigate sexual intimacy in a culture that automatically assumes growing relationship expectations known as the relationship escalator. What does dating or even not dating but having sex with someone mean when romantic myths about being together forever are non-existent and when you may prefer singleton as a default state? So I have a question for you, Iris. Um, when you're... For example, when you do have feelings with someone, what is your way of doing it so that insofar as it 
is there is no relationship escalator. Like, does it just stay the same? Do the feelings fade away? How do you negotiate intimacy with someone you do have feelings for? Mm. I guess it's it's, a, it's an active negotiation and it just means that it do, I don't want it to take over my life or end up like dropping things and just focusing on one person, I guess. Um, what was the question again? How would you like negotiate your feelings? that it doesn't you know follow the trend of the relationship escalator so you would just make it would it is it like a conscious decision in your mind or is it just having clear boundaries um and mm, talking hypothetically about this stuff yeah i guess it's like um i think there's like a lot of unspoken expectations about if you say you're attracted to someone that means that oh it means i must be interested in yeah this developing expectation around like spending more and more time together and I guess it sometimes it's like really unspoken and it's kind of you run into this thing where it's like oh you need to talk about it I suppose it's just talking about different approaches to things because people can be in different pages about it yeah absolutely um so do you have friends in couple like who are part of couples who make less of an effort to catch up yeah, definitely. And yeah, and then some friends are just so unavailable when they're a couple and then suddenly, yeah, as I pointed out before, that's something that happens a fair bit. Um, and in terms of catching up, sometimes, yeah, it's some friends are just like I have seem to have less time to make the effort to catching up with with me and but seem to have a lot more time for other things so it's like this imbalance in terms of they're maintaining this expectation of their relationship and that that means that they um spend less time on their friendships because it's so focused on that and I think yes sociologists have have found that a lot of couples tend to have becoming like a sort of like the normal expectation of a couple means they usually lose a friend because of how that takes up extra time in their life. Yeah, I've actually seen this happen so much in Australia and it's very strange because I feel like if it happened at home, back home in Sri Lanka, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't bother me as much because I have a support circle. I have my family and I have my cousins and um, there's less of a cultural incentive to do so. But I've noticed that... Um, it's been particularly hard when you're an immigrant and, like, your friends are your immediate support circle. So, like, when you're going through um, sickness or, you know, when you're, like, having to deal with mental health stuff or um, other disabilities, it's been particularly hard when people don't return a text or where they um, are unavailable to help you out in any way, drive you places, bring you food or whatever it takes. Um, and I found that very disconcerting, to be honest. Like, the fact that, they prioritize their relationships um sometimes they haven't known this person as as long as they've known me but they because of emotions because of desire and because of how all consuming how it's accepted they kind of 
um, push me into a side and I become less of a priority. Mm. And I feel like that's something I've tried to actively like renegotiate with myself when I'm in a relationship. I want to, even if it's not, even if I'm not having like superficial coffee brunch catch ups with people, I want to be there for them when they're going through hard times and offer support and help them out and make sure that they're feeling stable and together. Um, and I think that's really important to me as an immigrant and to help other immigrants. How are you? Have you ever felt like you needed a friend um, and they haven't like answered your calls or your texts just because they're sleeping in on Saturday? <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think there's this general sort of like expectations that like anything goes with friends, especially like from, I suppose, this particular circle I'm in, I suppose like two different different circles and now I'm in my late twenties, it's like this there's some times there's expectations that oh it doesn't matter if you let friendship slip a bit, it's just like life and stuff. Um stuff. and it's <laughs> it's just like oh I oh, yeah. it's and I suppose it's the, the uneven power dynamics of like catching up and stuff is that when you don't have a relationship structure organized around one person, um it's like yeah. Um, not being able to catch up with people has a more like more bigger impact on you than if you have that one person to go back to all the time um, as well. Yeah, I feel like I wish people kind of treated their friendships the way they would treat their clients in corporate relationships. Like you're on time. You don't cancel on a meeting last minute. Um, you invest in them because you know that they're investing in you. There's a, um, there's a more like... Um, there's a bigger sense of commitment. Um, yeah. So I really wish it took that kind of form, um, for mm. lack of a better metaphor. But I feel like it's kind of encouraged with societies, like you said, like you, you, you're you less committed. And I feel like with relationships, you know, of any kind, of any sort, I feel like you have to make a mental commitment. You've got to sit down and say, these are what my priorities are. And no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to commit to these people um, in these ways. And obviously, if you're feeling exhausted or if it's too much or um, uh, it's mm. it's not something you're capable of doing, you can renegotiate that. But I still feel like you need to yeah. have a conversation with that person and within yourself as well and see what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely like friends that are that I can't see as much because they're going through times of chronic pain and different disability stuff, and that's all understandable. Like the difference is like how people make different efforts in terms of friends versus lovers, and that friend versus lovers binary. I suppose there's different queer writing they've wrote about um, challenging that binary in terms of how that like diminishes the value of friendships, and I suppose. Yeah, like, I don't have... When you're single, you don't have this... Like, your friendships are the, like, the sources of love in your life. You don't have that one or different partners in that way. So it's... Like, that's the important thing. And, yeah, and it's, like, just like the other week... um, No, this week, I got this phone call about... uh, Because I had this traumatic injury last year and there's a Victorian trauma registry and they ring you up to follow up how you're going and and like one of the first questions are like 
oh, what's your marital status? And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I have no relationship to marriage. And they're <laughs> like, oh, we just need it because we want to study the effects of your of injuries on relationships. And it's like the implication is if you're not married that you don't have relationships, that friendships aren't like worthy of study. And that's it's just like so frustrating, like all these assumptions around like what's deemed as important and what's not important. Yeah, I feel like there's way, way too much um, <laughs> emphasis placed on the heterosexual cisgendered marriage, which everyone seems to love. Oh, what Australians call partnership. I hate that term. It sounds like you're in a business relationship. I hate when people call their boyfriend or lover or whatever, partner, partner this, partner that. I just hate it. It's so cringy. But anyways, um, what do you miss most when, like, you lose a friend to couple them? And what have you done to, like, replace them and counter those feelings of loss? Mm, yeah, I just... It's just painful. You miss them. And it's like, well, what, like... It's just disturbing how, yeah, if the friend has got a new, like, coupled relationship in their life, it's just disturbing how that can change your friendship dynamic so significantly. And then you've, like, I suppose there's, like, a grief process to do it if they're the, someone that's not open to adjusting things or hear your feelings about it. And it's not, yeah, it's just, there's so many different feelings to process around losing friends it's and friendship sort of changes or breakups can be just like breakups in in terms of romantic and romantic relationships they can be just as difficult and yet like another thing about that is it's a lot harder to get support about those breakups because they're not seen as as significant um and I feel like there's less of a like it's it's less encouraged for you to grieve for the loss of a friend and it's more encouraged for you to grieve for the loss of a relationship. I find that social dynamic really weird as well. Yeah, that is really weird. Yeah. And so when you lose a friend to a couple, dumb, do you like make more friends or do you immerse yourself in your hobbies? How would you like counter that? Yeah, I think like the nature of it is having to be more, put yourself out there more and make other friends because, yeah, I suppose they're like, there is a, an end in friend, there's an end in different relationships in your life and they end and they change and you you end up having to try and find new friends and experience new things with different friends. So keep, you're keeping that, it's like a cycle, isn't it, which it repeats itself and you just have to keep moving forward. Another thing someone said, which I found really interesting, was that you don't look for friends um, in that way. You kind of look for a community. But I still feel like you like I've had to make a very fragmented sense of community as an yeah. immigrant where you stitch together very individual one-on-one intimate friendships and that is your sense of community it's not like you can go to a place and have all of your needs and all of your wants met um mm. it's not as simple as that i feel no it isn't um yeah i think like so often community is saying that isn't there and you have to try and string these different parts of your life together and sort of make it into this thing you call community or community is this thing that you feel on the outside of and other people seem to be more inside of um and it's such and yeah who spends like the effort in terms of making communities um 
yeah, and how do it's just so much effort can go into like having projects or like organizing things that are more communal. There's just a lot of energy goes into that. I agree. It's very um, it takes a lot out of you. And, you know, you need to be the kind of person that likes planning and organizing things. If you're more introverted, that's pretty difficult. So we're now going to two songs. We've got Alison by Slow Dive and we've got Candy Talking by the Jesus and Mary Chain. You're listening to Queering the Air. And um, today we have Iris and I. And I is there now. You are listening to Queering the Air today, and that was Alison by Slow Dive and Candy Talking by the Jesus and Mary Train. You're listening to the Singledom and Shoegaze edition of Queering the Air. Iris, your piece yes, continues. Continue. Sociologist Bella DiPolo notes through exposing methodological flaws that single people tend to have better friendship networks and are just as happy as couples while being less insular. Conversely, I've had some poly friends so time for that from their poly relationships they've had no time for my friendship. I wonder if instead of describing myself as single, in inverted commas, in negative relationship to coupledom, I describe myself as something else, friendful. Anti-singles, stigma, and stereotypes can have harsh consequences. When I was desperate, desperately trying to traverse trans-fearing gatekeepers to prescribe me hormones, One doctor denied me hormones partly on the grounds of his interrogation of my relationship history. My singleness meant I was, inverted commas, immature to this doctor. So, Iris, I have... Thank you for sharing that, but I have um, a question in relation to that, and that is... um, So, in terms of society's structures of relationship, um, structuring of couples, you know, they prioritise couples for housing, state benefits, hospital visitation, pricing of things like insurance and... Even migration. Has it affected you in any other ways apart from that anecdote you shared? Yeah, like it has in some ways. Um, Like I know that this, I think, depends on other privileges because like poor couples are very disadvantaged and I think there's a lot of different factors go into things. But, yeah, I know some of my peers who are couples can just get a house together so easily, whereas I have to... When I'm looking at all these queer shower houses, it takes months to get, I guess, to some place. Um, and I couldn't um, ever afford to get a place on my own. So there's that thing. And it's harder to... It can be harder to find friends to live with than to find a romantic partner to live with at a certain point in your life. Um, that's one thing in terms of housing... I suppose there was a lot of stuff in the the debate about marriage around um, stuff like hospital visitation and stuff about how the different rights that come up, assumptions that come up after you die. But what was excluded from that conversation is like relying on a partner to like um, forgets that not everyone has partners and like the assumption that my parents should be like the like the assumption is unless you have drawn up this other agreement and it's followed is that you like your parents will be the person that um like do all your things for you in an emergency or in the case of your death and when you have like a fraught relationship with your 
parents, um, that's like a pretty pre difficult and harmful assumption to make. And that's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating that like people think. think that like put all the I guess eggs in the basket of um, partnership in terms of like these things should be available to everyone regardless of how they organize their relationships regardless of that um, that's like some of the things I think about and also think about yeah there's other th yeah the migration th thing which isn't something that I've migrated from here because I was born on these stolen lands um but I know like f friends have to navigate these things where they have to prove to the state that they're in this relationship to in a very particular yeah, way yeah to pick away have to prove all these things and also they have to prove they're not there's all this like ableist assumptions in terms of migraine you have to prove you're like going to come as like healthy and all this ableist assumptions around like the state just like excludes disabled people, people who are poor from migrating. That's and, true. It's yeah. also like, as we all know, Australia has become increasingly racist. Um, that's not a secret to anyone. But Definitely. Um, one of the only ways you can migrate to Australia because they've tightened the rules so much is through the partnership thing. Um, so like finding a partner or like getting married and then mm. you can migrate. You still have to pay $7,000, but that's one way. But um, there is no kind of way of sponsoring a migrant who is a friend. And you can't do community sponsorship in Australia. So you can be, you know, you, you can be completely uninterested in, in your education. You cannot have a job. Um, you can have zero work experience. Um, you can be, you know, completely disinterested. But if you find a partner... And they um, agree to all, you know, agree to marry you or cohabitate with you. You can migrate to Australia. Your marriage is of no value. It's very strange what you can give to a society, what you can contribute to a society. No value whatsoever. Um, what does matter is um, if someone kind of accepts you and say, okay, let's get married. Um, let's cohabitate. Let's um, have a joint bank account. And then, you know, nothing else matters. That's all that matters. And there's just... You know, systematically, there is so much emphasis placed on being in a relationship or being in a heteronormative relationship. And mm -hmm. it's it's very disconcerting, yeah. you know. What if, for personal reasons, you just do not, for whatever reason, you don't ever have to disclose why you don't want to be in a relationship. But you don't want to live in a place. Um, why do you have to resort to being in a relationship or faking a relationship just to migrate there? That is awful. And do you know... This is going to like sound really ridiculous. If you apply for a partnership visa outside of Australia, um, you can migrate here with your permanent residence in six months because apparently um, to be um, lovers or to be married, that's a human right and it's not as important as other things like um, belonging to a community or being friends with someone. It's kind mm. of discriminatory. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Um I lost one thought I had on that. But another thought I had was in terms of welfare, in terms of, um, yeah, like there's all sorts of assumptions around if you're in a relationship that's recognized by the state as a couple, which is a de facto relationship for six months, or if you're married, 
um, it means that person is legally responsible for you. So even if you want to be in a relationship where your like responsibilities are more shared with the network of friends, you're actually like restricted by this how the state imposes like one kind of relationship, and it means that um, it's actually it's actually it introduces different power dynamics because. If I was in a relationship with someone, it would mean they would be legally responsible for me. It would mean my benefits were cut because this is like the state likes to privatize like relationships onto um, into couples and nuclear families, and and, and all sorts of kind of neoliberal stuff. Neoliberal stuff happens with this, and that sort of reminds me about oh, the other point that I was talking wanted to, that I, I was thinking about with migration is. The whole um, when you you don't have citizenship, that's a pretty significant power dynamic, and it, and like that whole system just is like it's just breeds this horrible power dynamic with abusive relationships. It's awful. And did you know that um, if you're getting permanent residence and you feel partner, you have extra points because Australia has a stupid point based system, and um, mm. you get extra points for being in a relationship with someone. Um, that is awful. Yeah. It just shows how ingrained partnering up and being in romantic relationships is prioritizing this country over other things. It is very strange to me. Um, but yeah, let's continue with your story and with the last part of your text. Yeah. Mainstream queerness is saturated in images of an idealized private domestic coupled life with the one or sometimes more than one. The reality for many is often soaked in dissatisfaction and impossibility. Despite these ideals, queers, single, partnered, or whatever, forge significant, varied, and undervalued relationships outside of coupledom. After the launch of the Archer Spaces edition, I bonded with a queer group at Tippers over significant friendship relationships. It was a very queer, single time. So, um, what are the challenges of your experience of being single or not this could be structural institutional even interpersonal challenges um well i think uh, i think structure we've talked about especially the migration thing um institutional i think i feel like you've touched upon that interpersonal okay um being single um I feel like some people, especially as I've grown older, they only socialize with you on the basis of sex and being in a relationship. Like they they just want to touch upon that. And I find that very disconcerting and alienating as well. And that's some that's a big problem I've had with interpersonal friendships with other people. Um, and it's like if you don't have to con, con if you don't have stories or thoughts to contribute to that topic you're not worthy or you're not valued or you're not seeing as being someone who's experienced or knowledgeable or worthy um and yeah i just find that alienating um i wish there was more i wish there was more value placed on like unstructured platonic friendships and how we can talk about our relationship dynamics through that um and how um you know with every every relationship romantic or not there's kind of like a circle that your patterns follow if you've been in a long-term friendship there's a circle that you follow there's a pattern that you follow um 
but there's also ebbs and flows sometimes you want to talk sometimes you want to be together sometimes you don't want sometimes you need time away from that person from that relationship sometimes you need to take a break and i really want conversations which focus on those ebbs and flows and i find them really interesting and i find those relationships are the ones that have really helped me grow as a person have really challenged me um and have forced me to think about myself and what i am capable of and not and that's something i would like to see more conversations about but people are too tired being immersed in their romantic relationships to like have thoughts um and reflections on that what ha- what what are your experiences iris mm, yes so many in terms of the interpersonal challenges yeah i suppose the struggle is finding friends that value you and aren't gonna like a abandon you in a way in terms of prioritizing or like hyper prioritizing romantic relationships like finding friends that will be there for you when you're struggling is yeah it can be a hard thing um for sure um so yeah um i think that's uh yeah that's our episode for today i think um and um so this is my last episode thank you for having me on um querying the air everyone and thanks for helping me out iris so the last 6 months it's 6 months i think i've been on seven shows so far six or more um yeah it's been a pleasure to present to you guys every sunday as seasons have changed um i'm i'd be interested in hearing people's thoughts just message our facebook page or email address what is our email address is it querying@gmail.com Mm. If, yeah, queryarchgmail.com. Yeah, if you related to this episode, if you have any thoughts about singledom and um your thoughts about couples or any personal experiences you've had, we'd love to like share your stories, have discussions with you through our Facebook, through our Twitter, it's just querying the air. Um yeah, feel free to engage with us. We like fan mail, we like thoughts, we like comments. We really want to see more engagement and Ayus and I will always reply. So send your thoughts through and um Yeah, this uh, episode will be available as a podcast at 3cr.org/queeringtheair. Um uh, next up is um Sis Hip Sister Hop and our outro song is one of my personal favorites um sometimes by My Bloody Valentine. Have a great week guys and enjoy spring. <laughs>